Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters, a weekly radio news magazine that looks at the issues, events, and people in the Lone Star State. Today on Texas Matters, could this be the legislative session that passes school vouchers? And what does that mean for public education in Texas? When students are given education options, it's a proven fact that it leads to better education results for all schools across the entire state. This is Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. On Thursday night, the State Board of Education reversed course on its position on school vouchers. The board, which is made up of 15 independently elected members from across the state, voted to rescind its recommendation from late last year that stated the legislature should deny any measures to provide public funding for private schools. After the November general election, the State Board of Education became more conservative. Republicans increased their majority with one more seat, and several of the moderate Republicans have been replaced with more right-wing conservatives. Thursday night's vote was 8-5, to five, and it calls for the removal of all languages about vouchers, and it adopts a neutral stand, not supporting a voucher program, but it's not against it either. This move comes on the heels of Governor Greg Abbott announcing earlier this week his support for a statewide voucher program. Abbott spoke at the Annapolis Christian Academy in Corpus Christi, where he gave a full endorsement for school choice for every child in Texas. This is understood to be a full school voucher program that would give parents public dollars to spend on private school tuition or other education expenses. Critics say school vouchers would siphon money out of traditional public schools, and in the past, they have been vehemently opposed by Democrats, but also Republicans who represent rural parts of the state, where the traditional ISD is an important community hub and job provider. Abbott's remarks came as the leading Republican state lawmakers are again pushing voucher bills. Abbott said education savings accounts are what Texans need to give their families options. Well, the bottom line is this. This is really about freedom. Think about this idea. There are hundreds of thousands of people who move to Texas every year. They come here because of the freedom and opportunity that Texas provides. And because in Texas, we don't like government running our lives. In Abbott's speech, he attacked the traditional Texas public school system for the policies that they adopted during the COVID outbreak, which were put in place to keep children safe during a deadly pandemic. During COVID and after COVID, many parents were extraordinarily frustrated about the quality of schools, about the substance of what was being taught, about mandates that stiff-armed parents away from their child's education. Some parents were angry that their child was being forced by a school to wear a mask. Other parents were angry that masks were not required in the school. Parents were angry that some schools were being forcing their child to learn virtually. 
And while a parent watched their own child in their own home learn virtually, they saw that child falling further and further behind in their education. Parents were angry about some being some schools being closed and having no place to go other than the government mandated school. Abbott was also critical of traditional public schools over issues related to the conservative culture war, particularly content about race, sexuality, and how history is taught. Parents are angry today about social agendas being pushed on our kids in our schools in Texas, and that is unacceptable. And we see in schools, sex content is being taught to kids in school, even in grade school in Texas. Well, let's be clear about something. Schools are for education, not indoctrination. Both of these lines of attack on traditional public schools have been seen as efforts to weather down the public's confidence in the local ISD and bolster the political move to pass an expanded statewide school voucher program. Abbott, like Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and the Republican Party of Texas, have listed school choice vouchers as a legislative priority. Parents should not be helpless. They should be able to choose the education option that is best for their child. The way to do that is with ESAs, Education Savings Accounts. We've seen them work in other states, and we've seen them work in the state of Texas also. In 2020, I created limited education savings accounts for special needs students. And it's been so successful. Right now, the Texas legislature is working to increase funding for that program. But that program shouldn't be limited. That program should be available to everybody in Texas. So now is the time to expand ESAs to every child in the state of Texas. State Senator Mays Middleton, a Republican from Galveston, filed Senate Bill 176, which appears to have the backing of the leadership it would create an expanded statewide education savings account program that would allow parents to use state funds to pay for their children's private school, online schooling, or private tutors. The Texas Parental Empowerment Program would be administered by the state comptroller. Education savings accounts would give the money directly to the families, sometimes in the form of a preloaded debit card, and can be used for a variety of education expenses. Under SB 176, each child would be granted about $10,000 a year, and that's what's estimated it costs to educate a child in the traditional public school setting. Critics say there is too little transparency and accountability, and this is a system that is ripe for fraud. The, the fund for this program would come from both taxpayers and donations. To find out more about how voucher programs have been working in other states, I reached out to Joshua M. Cowan, Ph.D., professor of education policy at the College of Education at Michigan State University. So a number of states, 
Texas, Florida, Oklahoma, uh, Nebraska, South Carolina, Utah, Iowa, and Indiana are all uh, moving forward very quickly with these plans, either to expand existing programs uh, in the voucher framework or create new ones entirely. Why suddenly? I mean, this has been talked about for a long time. I mean, Milton Friedman was always talking about something like this. Now, uh, breakthrough after breakthrough across Texas, across the United States? I take a bit of a cynical view of this uh, in the sense that these are places where, uh, by and large, um, these are Republican majorities, and you can do a lot um, when you have a, a legislative majority and, and the same party in the governor's office. Uh, we've seen a lot of out-of-state coordination from uh, groups pushing this from Washington, D.C. I can talk about some of those groups if we need to, but a lot of this is top-down. Um, somebody who works in the program evaluation world um, and looks at a lot of this legislation in each of these states, it's almost identical. Uh, and that's that's because these these things are being driven by DC um, and and groups sort of oriented toward that. And they've um, you know they see the moment because the politics have lined up in terms of just vote counts in these legislatures. It's it's called lots of different names, but basically it comes down to using public money, tax money for private education here in Texas, they're calling it education freedom and yeah. other things, but you know, what is it really? Yeah. I mean, they're, what they are school vouchers and what vouchers are uh, tax supported um, programs to underwrite private school tuition. Uh, they, they do exist in a lot of names. There are different ways that these things can be funded um, through the tax code or through direct payment uh, on the state side. They have the same effect on state budgets and they have the same effect on public schools. I'm not sure they are as popular as folks say. I mean, if you use the word voucher, they're very unpopular. And that's why I think uh, advocates of these programs have been very hard on people like me, on, on journalists um, and others who, who use that word. And they, they call up and um, I've had journalists tell me, if I use the word voucher, these these folks call me up and scream at me and scream at my editors until I take the word out of my reporting. But, um, you know, that's because the word voucher is unpopular, but scholarships a lot more popular and uh, and uh, savings account is popular, which is what's being proposed in Texas. So, you know, I mean, it, 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 there's different names for these things, but they are at their core. They're different ways of um, using tax dollars to support private uh, educational expenses. But they're not brand new. This has been around for a while in, in some states, right. uh, like Indiana, That's right. uh, Ohio. What are we seeing there? Um, on the academic side in states like Indiana and Ohio, we're seeing devastating impacts on student outcomes. Um, it, we really can't. We don't have another good comparison uh, among the sort of the folks who do program evaluation and education for a living like I do. We don't really have a good comparison for another policy that's had uh, the impacts on test scores that that uh, in such a harmful way as in Indiana and Ohio. And we have to go to something like Hurricane Katrina's impact on, on academics to the kids in, in New Orleans to find kind of a, a proper comparison um, there are a number of reasons for that, but the, the main one is that uh, vouchers don't, at least in other states outside of Texas, they have not really provided a lot of support to attend high-end private schools. Like, I think that that gets sort of wrapped up in a lot of the rhetoric about opportunity uh, and freedom and, and the, the, the schools that, that advocates of these programs use, they kind of um, – turn it into something of a class argument about these like very high-end private schools. It's not actually the typical school receiving voucher funds. They tend to be uh, under-enrolled schools, schools that are just barely hanging on. I call them um, some subprime private schools that they're not particularly great at, at uh, 
and educating kids like there are some in the public sector that, that aren't. Uh, but these schools um, are taking these taxpayer dollars um, and moving kids over. Uh, when they move kids over, we see really significant academic drops. So I'm looking at something you've written. It said in Indiana, students who used vouchers on average suffered learning loss on par with New Orleans kids after Hurricane Katrina. That's right. And in Ohio, it was much worse than even Indiana. Ohio kids who used vouchers had an average learning loss twice the size of the COVID effect. Yes. I don't overstate things by temperament, but that you... Uh, the, the effect sizes here are, um, in mathematical terms, about a half a standard deviation or negative 0.5 standard deviation learning loss in Ohio. That's about uh, twice what, what the standard deviation amounts estimated for COVID-19 learning losses. And, um, and again, the, the reason is that, that, that for kids transferring in, in, um, into these schools, uh, these are, they're not getting access to the high-end providers. They just don't, the high-end public, the high-end private schools, excuse me, they don't tend to participate in voucher programs. They, they don't need the money. They're over-enrolled anyway. It's the schools that are kind of uh, really hanging on, trying to stay open. Uh, otherwise, they have to close uh, that, that take these kids. And those are the schools that are just not, frankly, very good at this type of um, academic um, uh, instruction. Now, uh, we hear Texas Governor Greg Abbott talking about this is about freedom. This is education freedom. Um, and I wonder, because, uh, you know, we have education freedom already. We have charter schools. We have homeschooling. There's all sorts of other options that people have. If you don't like your local uh, ISD, there's, there's there are things you can do. So is, is, is there a problem with a lack of freedom? Not in the education sector. I mean, at this point, what education freedom means is is – um, freedom to use tax dollars to support largely religious instruction. And that includes some of the practices that come along with that um, around excluding who can participate in, in which uh, in which schools. I mean, it's, it's nice to kind of stand on a podium and say education freedom, but, um, you know, a, ch a parent whose child is rejected by the school they're trying to get into on the private side um, doesn't have a lot of freedom. And there's nothing in these bills that requires private schools to take any of these children, uh, which is exactly why we see, again, these test score drops, because what's happening is um, that the high-end schools are just rejecting the kids uh, and or just not even bothering to participate in the voucher program. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's in each of the pieces of legislation we see both in Texas and elsewhere, the state is very clear that private schools do not have to change their admissions policies, whether they're uh, for kids with a particular low test score or particular special needs, or we've seen in some states like Indiana, uh, schools rejecting kids who are, say, LGBTQ teenagers. Uh, schools don't have to take them. And so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say access to those schools is particularly free for those children. Is this a way to defund traditional public schools? Yes. Uh, it happens in two ways. One, it does result in individual um, in enrollment dollars lost for schools that lose kids to, to private schools. Um, but that's usually a longer run problem. The bigger problem up front is that it's, it's incredibly expensive to educate children, whichever, whatever type of school they're in. 
And the states that are proposing these programs are essentially proposing to stand up two sectors of education. In most states, education is one of the top three areas of expenditure, regardless of how much the state's actually spending per kid. It's usually one of the top three areas of expenditure next to health care and corrections, um, you know, law enforcement and prisons. And so there's really not a lot of extra dollars to go around. And at some point, once you're trying to pay for two sectors uh, of, of education, one's going to have to take a loss. And that's the way these programs are intended to work. Will this be a way in the end to reduce property taxes or? No, I don't think that these are, there's no cost saving approach to these. All this is, is um, these are new budgetary expenses overall. Uh, at some point, there's going to be a limit to how many public dollars can be drained from public schools simply because there aren't enough private schools to go around for everyone and uh, to take everyone. So at some point, um, very soon. Like we're seeing this in Arizona, for example. Uh, they they rammed through a universal voucher program after starting off with an ESA program similar to what Governor Abbott's proposing in Texas. And now they're $300 million over budget uh, and really off budget because they they pushed this thing through off, off the normal appropriation cycle. And what that means is now the state has to figure out how to spend $300 million or to find $300 million to spend. So these are not cost-saving mechanisms. Um, you know, one way to do it is to raise taxes, um, but no one's talking about that. So if you're not going to raise taxes, then you have to find other areas of the budget to cut. And the obvious area to cut is eventually from educate from general fund support for public schools. Yeah. And if you have a, a voter base that's not sending their children to traditional public schools, your voting base is using charter schools or vouchers, then it makes it easier to to cut the uh, funding for traditional public schools. That's right. I, I mean, and, and but these are still, even in Texas, where they, there is a, a fairly large charter school sector, and there, there are some uh, enrollment options within the public sector, there's still, we're still talking about, um, you know, fairly small percentages of people using these programs, not because they're not allowed to, but because they don't. Most kids are still learning in, in typical uh, ISDs or public schools. And so at the end of the day, you know, these are still the kids that are most primarily affected by this. And, uh, you know, frankly, if if funding is going to continue to be an issue across the board, um, you know, you're essentially taking on new obligations by creating these programs. They're not cost saving mechanisms. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think most voters will support tax increases on themselves. And so the question is going to have to be where you're willing to cut. And remember, you know, a lot of rural communities in a lot of these states, like there are no private schools. <laughs> One of the reasons that Governor Abbott is pushing for an, what's called an education savings account instead of a, a traditional tax credit voucher scheme is to get around this or to try to get around this problem of, uh, well, there are no rural schools, private schools for, for kids in rural communities to go to. So how will they not suffer from this? There are not a lot of extra things you can spend your education savings account on under the under the Abbott plan either, uh, unless you're really into online schooling. And the, the most common way that rural communities have have accessed alternative education sources through ESA or voucher programs is just by moving their kids to online learning. Well, um, you know, people like Betsy DeVos, who've been a big supporter of vouchers and ESAs, were were huge, huge supporters of online remote charter schools, remote learning, that kind of thing. 
uh, until until the the sort of politics of COVID really turned uh, her around on on um, on onto what public schools were doing with respect to online and remote learning. So uh, she's still a strong supporter, and and I think the the under the Abbott plan, the typical rural kid, if they want to use an ESA type program for additional expenses, they're going to have to do it uh, via online learning. Uh, that's the kind of school we're talking about for a lot of kids in Texas. I'm going to ask you the question that every Texan is wondering, how does this impact high school football? (laughs) Well, listen, I mean, uh, you know, public schools are also major pillars of the community, whether it's high school football, 4-H clubs, uh, major sources of employment. Uh, not just for teachers, but but uh, you know, high school football coaches and groundskeepers and custodians, uh, and administrative assistants answering the phone. And you know, uh, if you're a legislator and or you're a community member in some of these areas that, that are really supported by your public schools, eventually uh, there are going to be some tough choices to make. You know, you're going to have to say, I'm going to support these types of programs because I like the idea. Um, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I don't want. I don't want my community to lose dollars. And I think that's an important distinction. And I know the it's it's fun to think about, uh, uh, you know, the, the importance of high school football, but th- there's some real seriousness behind the, the way that football and, and programs like that bring communities together. And that's just not, it's just not an option in a lot of these private um, sector sort of contributions. So we have to remember every time we talk about, um, uh, uh, enrollment loss or dollar loss to public schools, we are actually talking about uh, um, costs that are going to have to be borne um, by the public schools. And that includes in athletics and that includes everything else. Joshua M. Cowan, PhD, is professor of education policy in the College of Education at Michigan State University. Organizations that are opposed to school vouchers are lining up, getting ready for a fight like Pastors for Texas Children. Louis Malfaro is a leader there. He's also the Associate Executive Director of Austin Voices for Education and Youth. Lieutenant Governor Patrick has tried to pass school voucher legislation uh, in every session that he has been the lieutenant governor. And uh, Governor Abbott, uh, while he's become more publicly outspoken on the issue, um, has been a, a longtime proponent of school privatization and no friend to the Texas public school system. The coalition that supports public school education in Texas remains very strong and very much intact. Um, and this is a wide ranging coalition made up of business leaders, policy organizations, parent groups, teachers, uh, pastor groups like the Pastors for Texas Children. Um, and really a uh, ultimately a bipartisan group of state legislators who have repeatedly, repeatedly, session after session, now decade after decade, said we are not interested in spending public tax dollars on private school education. We don't see it as compatible with the constitutional requirement on the on the legislature and on the state to create a free system of public schools. And um, we understand that there is a um, there is a huge challenge right now for Texas in the public ed sector. We continue to be one of the fastest growing states in the student demographic. We represent 10 percent of all the children in the United States attend school in Texas. 
Um, and yet our state continues to lag in its investment of to public education. I think we're 39th out of 50 states now in per pupil funding. Um, so the notion, whether you're a parent or a school board member or a taxpayer, that we would take from that already underfunded pot for public schools and start doling it out to uh, private schools and the students who attend private schools, uh, it just seems like very bad policy. Um, and parents are and have always been in Texas uh, free to choose to educate their children at home, to send their children to private schools, including private religious schools. That's where some people may have a moment here. They would think that uh, religious education providers would embrace vouchers. Uh, Pastors for Texas Children would be a group that you would think would support something like vouchers because this would help private religious schooling, right? Uh, if, If dollars and cents were the only matter at hand, then there are certainly many, many members of our coalition, the Pastors for Texas Children, who are pastors and lay leaders in congregations where uh, they offer uh, religious education. And I recall a couple of sessions ago, one of those uh, Baptist ministers coming and telling the House Education Committee, I go door to door with my uh, parishioners selling cookie dough to raise money for our church school. And I'm here to tell you that I do not want Caesar's money. And that the minute that you start paying for the tuition of the kids in my Baptist school, you're going to be paying for the tuition of kids in Catholic schools, in Jewish day schools, in Muslim schools, and I and my parishioners do not want our tax dollars going to fund religious institutions that don't comport with our view. We see state involvement in religious enterprises as a violation of the separation of church and state and as a violation of our rights to religious freedom and liberty. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, plenty of people in the uh, Texas legislature, Texas Senate, they're hot for this idea. And there are bills that are being pushed. They're saying that this is going to be the year that they're going to, finally going to get this over the finish line. Why, why are they so hot for this? What, why do they think that this is something to fight for? And they've been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah, they they have been. Uh, um, you know, when you look at the history of school privatization, it's it's a very ugly picture, right? I mean, the whole notion of vouchers, they were originally called segregation vouchers. And when the U.S. Supreme Court in 1954 in Brown versus the Board of Education said that states could no longer operate separate and unequal school systems, Um, Many, many southern states and districts and counties um, simply refused to comply. Um, You know, Prince Edward County in Virginia actually closed its schools down completely for over a year and then tried to get around the uh, prohibition on segregation by um, by doing a voucher scheme. And again, it had to be challenged in court and knocked down. So. You know, it it makes me sad that um, 
that our state leaders don't see the value of the common school. And I will say this, of course, Hispanic children now are a majority of the students in public schools in Texas, not just a plurality, over 50%. And when you group in all children of color, you're looking at about two thirds of Texas students now. So a state that has all of a sudden lost the will to invest in its public school system, as that public school system's demographic has changed, tracks very well with the same sort of racist unwillingness that Southern states after Brown versus the Board of Education exemplified in their policy when they decided they didn't want to integrate schools and they didn't want to educate those children. Louis Malfaro is the Associate Executive Director of Austin Voices for Education and Youth, and he's a leader with Pastors for Texas Children. That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. I'm David Martin Davies. You can write to us with an email to texasmatters at tpr.org. You can find past Texas Matters programs on our website at tpr.org. And you can download us wherever you get your podcast. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.